the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This week's The Interview is brought to you by AndrewandTodd.com. AndrewandTodd.com are the world's best lenders for real estate. They are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. You can call them at 888 888-888-1172, 888-888-1172. And please do, no matter what your lending needs are, andrewandtodd.com. And now welcome to this new edition of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Morning, Glory America. I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway. My guest as we begin this hour is Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Good morning, Congresswoman. Hi, Hugh. How are you? I am great. I have to begin with a disclosure, though. Uh, Liz Cheney has been a friend and a guest on this program for two decades, as have been her father, Vice President Cheney, mother, Liz Cheney, and sister. I've sort of hit for the cycle, as they say in baseball, with the Cheneys. <laughs> and I worked as general counsel for Mrs. Cheney, and, uh, and few people I esteem as much as the vice president, so I'm not a disinterested observer. I argued in print and on air for a ceasefire and a laying down of swords in the caucus, and that did not work very well, about as well as my MSNBC show. And we'll come to why. But if I could, Congressman, I want to begin with a departure from the other coverage you've been in, the thick of. We'll come to that in a, in a moment. I want to draw on your experience as the Deputy Assistant Secretary in State and on national security. We are witnessing the escalating attacks on Israel this morning at Dr. Oren on uh, last hour from Hamas, and even some missiles from Lebanon yesterday, race riots in Israel. But 25 of your Democratic colleagues sent a letter to Anthony Blinken asking him to condemn Israel for a property rights dispute. I mean, yesterday they did this. And Andrew Wang had to walk back a vanilla I stand with Israel statement. And the Biden administration is everywhere. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. What has happened to the Democratic Party and its support for Israel? Well, it, it's been a long time, uh, you know, descent uh, into this uh, unwillingness to stand for Israel. And the idea that at this moment when um, Israel is under attack, uh, you know, Israel, in fact, did honor, um, you know, some of the uh, leases uh, and other, other property documents that the Jordanians had granted. Uh, and, and so the notion that Hamas uh, and, of course, you know, their, their Iranian backers um, are, are using this to launch uh, attacks against Israel is completely uh, without, you know, any justification. It's a terrorist attack. And, you know, the Democrats are demonstrating once again a failure to understand that um, what is absolutely crucial here is that Hamas has to be defeated. And that America has got to stand with Israel and support Israel's right to defend herself, right to respond, right to do whatever is necessary. Uh, you're seeing now it looks like uh, the beginnings of, of operations that will, in fact, target not just the, the locations of uh, you know, the, the rockets and the other weapon systems, uh, but also the massive underground tunnel system uh, that Hamas has throughout Gaza. Uh, and, and that Israel has to do it. They're justified in doing it. And the idea that at this moment in particular, you'd have Democrats saying, uh, you know, don't stand with Israel or, you know, rescinding their statements 
is is really uh, dangerous and misguided, uh, and and will help to uh, make it more difficult for Israel to prevail. Now, Congressman, I just played a clip of Ben Rhodes, who was deputy assistant, a uh, deputy national security advisor in the Obama years, on MSNBC last night with Joy Reid. And he blamed Israeli politics shift to the right for the problems in Israel and the collapse of the two-state solution. Now, he did get voted off the Obama island. He's the only member of the Obama administration not back in the Biden administration. So I don't know how much he represents. But (laughs) what is it that that they have to blame Israel? What is behind that? You know, it's very – I don't understand it. I I don't know. And and history shows how wrong it is. Uh, but they do it again and again. And, and you know, what we also know is um, that the, the idea that somehow the United States should uh, not stand with Israel, uh, the idea that Israel has a partner in the Palestinian Authority or in, you know, any of the entities that represents, claims to represent the Palestinian people, um, and that all this would end if Israel would simply stop defending herself, you know, it's it, it, it's in some ways similar to the same uh, Democrat policies that we've watched over the years, urging appeasement in other areas for the United States, and and it's wrong. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if the Palestinians, if the terrorist organizations, uh, if Hamas, and if their their backers, um, and the Iranians in particular, uh, you know, uh, are going to use territory uh, from which to launch attacks against Israel. Uh, we won't have peace, and uh, we've got to have security, and America has to back Israel and, and not contribute to efforts to delegitimize the state of Israel at the United Nations and other places, which too often the Democrats also rush to do. Is the Biden administration putting the Abraham Accords at risk uh, and the growing anti-Iran coalition, which we need to nurture and strengthen by their their ambiguity in the decision on what's going on right now? Certainly they are. And I think that, you know, you add to that list uh, the efforts that they have underway to get back into the uh, Iranian nuclear accords. Um, Again, it's, you know, turning away from policies of the Trump administration that were working. The maximum pressure campaign was working. Um, The the Abraham Accords were very successful. Uh, And those are the kinds of policies that you know, it, it's the, the notion of, of uh, weakness is provocative that the, the Biden administration doesn't seem to have grasped. And, you know, these these countries that are terrorist organizations, that are rogue nations, countries like Iran and the terrorist groups they support, uh, they can't be welcomed into the, the community of nations. And uh, we, we should absolutely not be going down a path where we're going to be helping them uh, with a pathway towards a nuclear weapon, which unfortunately is, is what's happening now with this effort to reenter the the JCPOA. Now, Congresswoman, all those questions are are context for the discussion of the division within the GOP. On Monday night, as hundreds of missiles are raining down, uh, maybe thousands of missiles falling on Israel, CNN and MSNBC went wall to wall with Cheney versus Stefanik, like it was a prize fight story. There were no stories on Israel on Monday night. Is that good for the country when an internal GOP division obscures what could be a cataclysmic confrontation in the Middle East? Uh, you know, the way that I look at that, Hugh, actually, is that the the country um, and uh, the party, um, we have to have a strong Republican Party uh, that is based on substance, built around the kinds of, of ideas you and I have been discussing for so many years, 
you know, based around a strong national defense, around uh, limited government and low taxes, uh, and fidelity to the Constitution. Uh, you know, we, we face these threats like the ones that you're talking about, like the one from China, from Russia. In order to combat those threats, uh, the nation needs a Republican Party that can lead. And for our Republican Party to lead, we have to be based on truth. Uh, we have to be based upon uh, adherence to the Constitution and rejection of the big lie. We just simply cannot go forward if we allow the former president to drag us back uh, with arguments that uh, fundamentally threaten the democracy. And, and so I think, I think that is really the heart of this issue. Um, are we going to be a party that can attract back the voters we lost in 2020? Uh, are we going to be a party that can win elections so that we can actually implement the right policies instead of having to just fight against the, the uh, bad and misguided policies we see from the Biden administration? That, that is what's at stake. Now, Congressman, I am disappointed that the House GOP Congress uh, caucus did not find a way to get to unity. Uh, but I've heard a couple of your closest friends, one of whom told me person to person, that it came down to having you um, conduct an orchestra that had different music. They wanted to talk about the massive tax packages and H.R. 1. You wanted to talk about President Trump. And on the outside, a lot of people have asked me, because they know uh, we get along very well, what is Congresswoman Cheney doing? And I said, what you, th what you thought is right, and I understand that. But they also asked, are you done with politics? I hope not. Are you? Uh, no. Listen, I think, I think first of all, if, if people want to understand the stakes and understand my view of the current situation, I, I would urge people to watch the uh, speech that I made on the floor of the House on Tuesday night. Uh, I've worked in countries around the world, Hugh, where, where they don't have peaceful transitions of power. And I watched what happened on January 6th, and that, that can never happen again. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the issue with the former president is that he continues to make the same claims that he made about the election. He continues to use the same language. Uh, it's an ongoing risk, and it's a very serious risk. And there are people in, in my party who believe we should embrace him, who believe that uh, he's the leader of the party, who believe that uh, we need to, uh, you know, go forward rehabilitating him. I believe that is dangerous. And I think that, that my obligation, the obligation of any of us who've taken the oath, uh, is, is to be very clear about that danger. Uh, and that's because of the Constitution, but it's also because we have to defeat Biden. We have to defeat Pelosi. We have to defeat Schumer. Uh, those are all issues that I uh, uh, have spent a, a great deal of time talking about, both during the election and after. Uh, their policies are the bad policies for the country. But the way to defeat them is to be able to build a winning coalition uh, to get back to Republican control. And we won't be able to do that if our party is based on lies. And, and it is, it's you know fundamentally against the oath that we took to the Constitution, and it's also um, you know, very bad politics. So I that's, think the, the, that's sort of the context with which to understand uh, the current state of play. Now, I am not now a member of the House, nor have I ever been, nor do I intend to be. But I, I follow politics so closely, and this is a prudential judgment about how best to advance national security and the Constitution. Those are the two most important things, national security and the Constitution. The former defends the latter. The latter allows the former. Uh, and I know 19th century British politics a lot. In a February 7th column for The Washington Post that's titled Republicans Stop Fighting Among Yourselves, 
I quote two British prime ministers, Palmerston saying, beware of that young, beware of that young man. He possesses one of the secrets of success. For instead of defending himself and his cause, he attacks the other side. He was talking about Lord Salisbury, who would go on to be prime minister for three terms. And I quote Benjamin Disraeli, it is not becoming in any minister to decry party who has risen by party. We should always remember that if we were not partisans, we should not be ministers. So my prudential appeal to the party, which went un, un, <laughs> unheeded, was, hey, everyone, put your swords down. Wait upon events. Let's see what happens. The DOJ is investigating the insurrection, and I've never been other than they were in the middle of the insurrection. I was online condemning it. Uh, the, the election was not stolen. Not one state is in doubt by credible evidence ever backed up by any court opinions. There is no doubt Joe Biden won. I've been there forever. But it's not prudential to argue this right now, Congresswoman. Why now? Why not focus on, I mean, what will be a devastating inflationary cycle? I think it, I, I think ideally we would all be able to focus on that. There's no question. And I think that, you know, there was a moment after the impeachment in the House, the trial was going on in the Senate. I was on, uh, I think, Dana Perino's show, and I said exactly that. I said, look, you know, we've done our job in the House with respect to these issues. The Senate is now dealing with it. We have got to move on. We have got to move on and make sure that we are standing against bad economic policy, bad national security policy. Let's move on. But what happened was people in our party, Kevin McCarthy, went to Mar-a-Lago and began to rehabilitate President Trump. And, and the former president has consistently um, decided that he's going to uh, use his post-presidency to uh, undermine uh, the fundamental structure of our republic and the fundamental structure of our democracy. And I think that, that there are some things, Hugh, and I know you, you agree with this, that must be above politics. Some things must be above partisanship. And, you know, when, when you've worked in places and lived in places where there is no peaceful transfer of power, where violence decides the outcome of elections, uh, where you've watched nations slip into uh, autocratic forms of government, uh, it, it really does um, impose a duty uh, to stand up against it. You know, we, we, when we're fighting communist China, uh, for the determination about what is the world going to look like and, and whether it's going to be a world based on freedom uh, or a, a global surveillance state. We cannot have a situation where uh, a former president is working to convince the American people that democracy doesn't work, that the election was stolen, that you can't count on our rule of law, that you can't abide by the rulings of our courts. Um, that is what the Chinese Communist Party says, that democracy doesn't work. And I believe all Americans must stand up and say, no, this is the rule of law. This is how our system works. And we have an obligation above party and partisanship to defend that and not to perpetuate the lies that undermine the nation. Now, I, I don't disagree with any of that, except that I believe there's a better way to go about it. And, and, and by the way, the best way to go about it was to have kept you a conference chair and to put the swords down. But we're not there right now. We're here. And I had director of the NIH, Francis Collins, on yesterday. I had to press him a bit. And he ultimately credited President Trump with Operation Warp Speed. You noted the Abraham Accords, his achievement. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is our danger. He reoriented the country on that. He had the defense build up. He struck down Soleimani in Baghdadi. He appointed Justices Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett, 50 circuit court judges. All these major achievements. And I left off First Step Act, the Right to Try Act, Serbia, Kosovo. There's a long list. 
wouldn't it be better to focus? I mean, if our if the critics of Trump, you're not an ever Trumper, by the way. I want people to understand you were never not you were never an ever Trumper. I voted I voted with him 93 percent of the time and supported all of those things you mentioned. There were places on national security policy we differed, but but what I would say, Hugh, is January 6th changed everything. You know, January 6th was the line that can never be crossed. And and that that is what makes this different than, you know, any other former president and what makes it it's not a policy dispute, because, as you point out, you know, the policies of the Trump administration uh, were were uh, far and away uh, the right policies. Uh, And again, that's why my voting record with him and those policies was 93 percent. So it isn't this isn't about policy. It's about whether a president of the United States can provoke a mob to attack the Capitol to try to stop the constitutional process of counting electoral votes. And and that is a line that can never be crossed. And and that person who did that cannot be continue to be part of our, our uh, political process going forward. It's just too dangerous for the country. But half the party doesn't believe he did that, Congresswoman Shane. Half the party believes uh, he addressed a rally and 800 members of a thousands and thousands of people crowd are radical insurrectionists who need to be prosecuted and imprisoned to the full extent of the law, and that he has no culpability for that. And there's an ongoing DOJ investigation into who is culpable for everything, and there will actually be, I think, civil cases as to who is culpable, even if they're not criminally charged, and those could extend to people on the stage that day. Why not wait for that to come down? I know he puts out tweets that that, uh, engage the conspiracy theorists. I, I don't think they're prudent. I also don't think that's what he intends. Uh, but I'm charitable towards all and malice towards none kind of guy. Why not just wait and focus on Biden because we have the clear and present danger of appeasement of Iran? Uh, well, I would say a couple of things. I think if you you know, there's the also the clear and present danger of the fact that the former president continues to use the language that incited the violence on January 6th. But the other point I would make is. You know, one of the big differences we have among House Republicans is whether or not we should have a January 6th commission and what that January 6th commission should look like. My view, which I've you know been very public about, is for all of the reasons you just mentioned, we have to have a bipartisan commission. It should be former officials, not current officials. It has to have subpoena power, and it should only look at January 6th and the issues leading up to it. Uh, you know, one of the things that caused the real break in our in our leadership. Uh, was my public statement about that, because Leader McCarthy's view is that it should have a much broader focus, including the riots last summer, uh, which were horrific and violated the law, and people should be accountable for those. But we cannot dilute the commission looking at January 6th for the reasons you mentioned. There is a criminal investigation going on. That's got to be allowed to go forward. But we also need to do what we've done after every crisis, at least since the attack on Pearl Harbor which is establish a commission that can really get at who is responsible, who did this, understand and recognize what happened so it can't happen again. Congresswoman, I I disagree with both you and Leader McCarthy. I don't think we should do anything until the DOJ investigation is finished. As a lawyer, as a member of the former DOJ person at Reagan, investigations are never advanced by uh, commissions, they are impeded by commissions, and the commissions get in the way of the evidence, and you get immunity issues and stuff like that. And prudentially, we have a clear and present danger from Iran and China right now. I certainly. So I want. Certainly. I, I want. I want to give the the last couple of minutes to you. We got to keep you in the party. Your point of view strong. Your voice loud. 
And that's what I'm concerned about, because I'm not concerned about January 6th. I think the vast majority of Americans, 99.999%, reject the insurrectionist and reject the idea that that was legitimate. Indeed, Josh Hawley on the show last week said Mike Pence didn't have any power to stop the counting. I, I just think the dangers are so overwhelming around us. We have to get the Republicans focused on the Democrats and try and stop the appeasement of Iran and the, and the buildup of China. Well, I, you know, I come at this, Hugh, both as an attorney um, as well as somebody who has spent years focused on Middle East policy and national security policy. And the nation faces very significant threats. And it's because of my experience in terms of uh, working on Middle East policy that I recognize and understand how dangerous the Biden approach is, why it's so important for us to have a policy that involves peace through strength, a deterrence that makes clear to our adversaries we have the will and the capability to deter them. But it is also my work over decades in places like Eastern Europe, in places like the former Soviet Union and just after it, it collapsed, in places like the Middle East, in Africa, in Asia, where I have seen authoritarianism grow. And, and I understand how fragile uh, our democracy is. And we have to be able to sustain our freedom. We have to be able to defend it and protect it. And that, that means, and we certainly can have and have had in the past, commissions underway while there were also criminal investigations going on. If you look at the 9-11 Commission, if you look at the Warren Commission, if you, as I said, go all the way back to Pearl Harbor. Um, and it matters. When you have an attack on the Capitol like that, uh, you have to get to the bottom of it, not just from the perspective of where the criminal investigation might go, but also a commission that allows the American people to get all of the information, to truly understand how we ended up in a place where we had that assault. But, but at the same time, you know, we have to be able to convince voters across this country they can trust us, they can count on us, they can trust us to be competent conservative leaders. And that requires building a foundation of truth. Right now, we have a former president who is actively on a daily basis saying that the election was stolen, it was rigged, it was a fraud, and we have members of the Republican Party emboldening him, embracing the lie, and perpetuating it. We have to do both of these things at once. We have to uh, get away from the lie. We have to embrace the Constitution. The Constitution's got to be our shield on domestic policy and national security policy. I agree that's how to get a winning a winning coalition so we can defeat the Democrats and get the right policies in place. But Congresswoman Cheney, you are a realist like your whole family and legacy media. And by that, I mean, Manhattan Beltway media elites are uniformly left, left, left. And they are now extension of the Democratic Party. And when Republicans fight and when they have a fight like this, all they do is cover the fight and they ignore the other. So if we take account of present circumstances, it's not actually possible to even have a, a reasonable conversation about the Trump years when the narrative is established. And, and I, I guess my last question, is: are you aware of how the narrative is using your comments to obscure the Biden administration's enormous strategic missteps? I think, Hugh, that as elected officials, as elected officials in the greatest nation that has ever existed, we have a fundamental and I would say sacred obligation and duty to the Constitution. And that means that we must defend the democracy. And if we if we want to be in a position where we can win elections, we've got to be a party that goes forward and says, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. We know January 6th was the line that can never be crossed. We know we have to fight for and defend the sanctity of our election process. 
uh, we've got to be in a position where we can get votes back. And, and I think that, you know, it, it is a, it's a duty. You know, we, we swear an oath under God uh, that we're going to defend the Constitution, and that oath can't, can't yield to partisanship or to party politics. And I think that, that we would all be much better off, and, and I think we all have to contribute to this, and you certainly do. Your show is one of the very, very best at this. We have to be in a position where we're debating these issues on substance and where we are incentivizing people who care about the policy who want to have a real debate, uh, not people that are just sort of, you know, showing up to be Internet stars or showing up to, to you know, uh, conduct themselves as though this was some kind of a, of a, you know, a reality show instead of, you know, the government of the United States of America. And, and I think we all have a duty to get back to substance and policy, but fundamentally fidelity to the Constitution has to underlie all of it. We agree on that a thousand percent. And on that note, uh, the Constitution, Liz Cheney, great to have you back. Keep coming back. Please don't leave politics. Oh, well. And uh, I look oh, forward to talking to you again soon. Thank Go ahead. You don't have to worry. I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not I'm not going anywhere. But thank very you very good. much. I look forward thank, to coming back soon. <laughs> thank you, Congresswoman. Thanks. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.